0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Busted Business Bureau Season 2. This is the debut episode of Season 2. It is very exciting because I have a very special guest. She is the national organizer for Code Pink. She's a rising superstar. (laughs) If you are anybody in Chicago politics, you need to know her. It is Danica. (laughs) Hi.
1: Thanks for having me. Of course. I didn't know I was I was on the debut of season two, so that's exciting.
0: Yeah, this is how we're launching right into the second season. You are going to be fantastic on this episode because I need to tell the listeners, usually the way we do the podcast is that I tell somebody who doesn't know any fucking thing about the business mm-hmm. all about it and record their reactions when they're, you know, drunk and full of brunch. But today, the two of us know a lot about what we're going to be talking about. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Today's topic is Lockheed Martin. And if you pay taxes ever, this is a must listen. (laughs) Uh, And if you've lived in the city of Chicago for a full year, you've maybe heard the blight upon humanity that is the Air and Water Show.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Is this insane celebration that we do every year where we just have a bunch of like military planes flying around Lake Michigan. Lockheed Martin is a a staple of the Air and Water Show. They're constantly, you know
1: send in the new plane that they have to which is so fun because it's like the f-35s i think and <laughs> they're like notorious for crashing <laughs> they are like they're catching on fire they can't fly in the rain and we're spending like 1.5 trillion dollars of our tax dollars on it it's fucking awesome and uh, it- not only that it is personally inconvenient to
0: me because they're it's loud. so loud it's so goddamn loud yeah for like three <coughs> days in august
1: every single year and then imagine if it crashed <laughs> and <laughs> you were trying to enjoy your time at the lake because people are like at the lake tanning swimming mm-hmm. enjoying time with their like kids and dogs it's and like stuff. the
0: largest free outdoor festival in
1: chicago or second largest it's, it's horrible it's <laughs> so damn loud and you know I mean, I don't know if you want to wait to get into it, but they do testing of the F thirty five planes in Vermont, mm-hmm. and um, I I was just talking to someone from Vermont who like works uh, like on trying to kick at the F thirty five testing out of Vermont like on Tuesday or something for sure. And they're like 115 decibels, which is like not safe to hear all the time. They do testing four days a week, twice a day, I think. Oh my and, god! And they don't tell the residents when they're doing it <laughs> because it's a quote national security threat. Like I don't know who's attacking South Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> But, I mean, it's sad, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> the kids on playgrounds were like shitting their pants <laughs> because the fucking planes are flying over the playgrounds. Oh my god! And, and, and Vermont's in like a horrible housing crisis. And because of like the safety issue of, of the noise, mm-hmm. um, they had to knock down 200 houses <laughs> to do this like F-35 testing. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so all these people I was talking to from Vermont, they look, like, sleep-deprived. They're, mm-hmm. like, not doing well. They've been doing it for years, too. It's
0: How is the, um, if you don't mind
1: me asking, the progress on kicking out no, the it's No, well. it's <laughs> not going well. There's no progress? It's not going well because every politician in Vermont is, like, very... Like, Bernie Sanders loves the F-35s, so...
0: <laughs> I love that for him. Yeah. That's a man with range.
1: Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he sticks to his opinions, certainly. Mm. <laughs> How delightful. I know.
0: How more apt of an introduction to Lockheed Martin than children sitting themselves on the playground because of (laughs) undisclosed testing. This is going to be an episode for the girls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you are on your way to work, if you're at home cracking a cold one open, I want you to imagine yourself that we are all girls gossiping about Lockheed Martin. (laughs) That's the scene I want to set. Because sometimes, honestly, when I talk about military stuff, I'm sort of like... (sighs) (laughs)
1: Oh, but it has such a hilarious history. This one has an
0: incredible history. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Because sometimes I hear, like, someone's going to talk about military stuff, and I'm like, oh, they're a nerd. And, Mm -hmm. like, they're going to talk about how awesome tanks are. And I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) But this is not that. This is going to be very fun, very... It's very for the girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about the history of Lockheed Martin, yeah. shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the origins
1: of it. Now, I am to understand that you also did a lot of research on the <laughs> origins. Yeah, and actually, every... so. <sighs> I, I I read just, the same book! Yes, just in case our friends at Lockheed try and sue you, this is just his sites everything I'm gonna say. Oh and my so she's holding
0: Prophets of War, Lockheed Martin and the Making of the Military Industrial Complex. Is that the rest of it?
1: Yes, by William D. Hartung, who I who I work with, he's <gasps> also a stand-up comedian. He's like an old stand-up comedian. He's awesome.
0: This is so fucking nuts, because I was literally gonna cite that I was mostly helped by this book yeah yeah, because it's such a good
1: read it it was so dense and took me so many days to get through absolutely and i was reading it for a book club and he came to the book club (gasps) and he was like honestly i wrote this so long ago i don't even you know you're probably gonna say things that i don't remember so
0: i can't believe you talked i feel starstruck talking to you knowing that you talked to him
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's awesome he's very very funny
0: Oh, my God. That's also why the book is, like, so eminently readable. Yeah. There are so many fucking funny-ass quotes (laughs) So I cannot recommend Prophets of War, spelled P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, Prophets of War. (laughs) He's at it again with those jokes. (laughs) You know, usually I would say we need to ban stand-up comedians, but he's the only one who's allowed to be doing that. So the origins of Lockheed Martin extend all the way back to 1912 with... Alan and Malcolm Lockheed, spelled Mm L-O-U-G-H-E-A-D, which becomes very contentious at some point in their (laughs) life. They do not... They (laughs) cite in court when they change their name, because they change it to L-O-C-K-H-E-E-D. Oh, that was some spelling. They change it, and they're like, everyone was calling us Loghead. That was like an anecdote from (laughs) the book. They became interested in planes. Because of the Wright brothers, they... Because they are just like, oh, we can do that. One of them did not make it past elementary school. The other one, I believe, did. Um, but they're like, planes? We can build them.
1: Yeah, it's I always find it interesting uh, reading about old companies because they're always started by like siblings. Like I'd never fucking start a company with my siblings <laughs> ever. And, and the vibe I got from the book, and I don't know if it's like completely true, it's like Alan was an idiot. Yes. And then Malcolm was actually super smart. Mm-hmm. And I think Malcolm was the older one. And then Alan just kept kind of dragging him back into his uh, things that he had planned that never seemed to go well. No there are several instances
0: in which they're trying to like they so they do build a plane Mm -hmm. they are constantly trying to show it off and it crashes all the time time. every Every time,
1: single time which is so funny because they've been dead for like forever and they haven't been in control of the company in in decades and decades but that's still the legacy of this company is they build planes that crash all the time
0: they really yeah I I couldn't have said it any better myself and so I actually did less research on Alan and Malcolm Lockheed knowing that you did (laughs) you were texting me all about it and I was like save it for the pod girly so if there's anything you would like to add and or subtract
1: you go for it okay cool 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 (laughs) I like that so Wayne Biddle the like he's an aviation historian mm-hmm. called the brothers carnival performers <laughs> who had become enmeshed in the birth of the aviation <laughs> history. <laughs> My favorite part about that story is when like, I, I forgot which time their plane crashed. Cause it happened like four or five times mm-hmm. and it was always in San Francisco. Yes. They were always crashing planes <laughs> into the San Francisco <laughs> Bay area. But, um, After, they were like, all right, fuck this. We're throwing in the towel. And then they tried prospecting for gold in California in like 1925. (laughs) Like this, (laughs) like the gold rush happened. They did not find any gold. It was
0: over and they're like, you know what? They didn't look hard enough. It's like that meme where (laughs) he's like, I I don't know why I just tried to describe a picture meme from like 2002. (laughs) But there was also an instance in which they were up for a contract somebody else won but that they had only built one plane and it crashed so then they had to give it to the lockheed
1: brothers <laughs> they had to give it to the lockheed brothers and it was for like the world's fair Yeah. <laughs> and you know i don't know a lot about airplanes or you know how sure. fast they're supposed to fly and mm-hmm. i'm sure it's come a long way since 1920 <laughs> but they i was reading it and they in uh, in the book and they were like the plane reached the highest speed of 63 miles per hour <laughs> yeah like whoa like I've done that in my Toyota Camry back like in <laughs> high school I've done that on like a roller coaster unrestricted yeah.
0: <laughs> after they build and crash several planes they decide to get into commercially giving people plane rides like mm-hmm. for fun and entertainment yeah that goes fine for a while then uh, the war starts, the Great War, the first one, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that becomes a area of interest for them. They're not one of the um, main participators in the war, the first one that there were planes in. At the same time, what would become Martin Marietta is also, it's the L. Martin Company at this point, is yeah. also participating in the war, to much a greater degree of success.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess we should say the company that we're talking about right now is just called Lockheed. Mm-hmm. Um. It became Lockheed Martin in, like, 1995 when it merged with Martin Marietta. And all those big defense companies were merging in the 90s. Because mm-hmm.
0: Martin Marietta is already emerging of the Glenelg Martin company yeah. and a different Marietta yes. company, which is also, the Marietta one is, like, also another merger. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think after World War One is where Malcolm split off and he was like, my brother's an idiot. I can't fucking do this anymore. <laughs> And and then Malcolm leaves and, like, after that, Alan has, like, a million different failures. Mm -hmm. But then Malcolm invents the four-wheel hydraulic braking system. What? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) So he was the smart one the whole time. Like, I don't know what Alan was doing. His best. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: I I feel like any siblings can perhaps relate to um, just not being able to
1: fucking take it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, also before World War One is when Lockheed hired uh, Jack Northrop, who was a very prominent aerospace engineer. Mm. Northrop might sound familiar, because Northrop Grumman is a top five weapons company. Yep. So he worked for Lockheed Martin, and then I think he left for McDonnell Douglas, which became Boeing. So he's <laughs> <laughs> so Holy Jack Northrop was like. He's getting around. He was like Gordon Ramsay. What's it the what's the show where he like goes into all the like kitchen bad. Co- yeah, Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> Jake Northrop's like uh, the Gordon Ramsay of defense companies because he made Lockheed like a, a viable business for a, a, a long period of time. Do you think he was also like catty about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He said he left Lockheed because he got bored. <sighs> <laughs> I love that for him. <laughs> I mean, I would too.
0: Yeah. Yeah barreling through, I pick up most of the intense research around the C-5A.
1: Oh, yeah. That's uh, some good stuff.
0: This is well after, I'm pretty sure, the Lockheed Brothers are dead. Is there anything
1: you would like to add? Yes. Yeah. So Lockheed Martin went out of business during the <laughs> Great Depression. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it was just Allen at this point. Mm-hmm. They couldn't effectively pivot to military contracting like they were supposed to, like all the other companies did in World mm-hmm. War One. So... It went out of business, but an investor named Robert Gross tried to buy the company for $40,000. Someone else tried to buy the company, too, and for, like, legal reasons I don't understand, they had to go to court and fight over it. And the judge <laughs> said to Robert Gross when he when they approved him buying the company f- from Alan, because Alan was such, like, a notorious idiot, the judge said to him, I hope you know what you're doing, young man. Because he bought this company in 1932, which was like oh. year three of the Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. I
0: hope you know what you're doing, young man.
1: Yeah. Oh, you that. don't want to
0: hear that from a judge.
1: <laughs> oh, so so before the C-5A plane, Lockheed's first like large military contract mm-hmm. was to Japan's military <laughs> in, um... I would assume it's... In 1940. 1940. <laughs> And Pearl, ha- Pearl Harbor
0: happened in <laughs> 1941, 19- Yeah,
1: so I think that's hilarious.
0: <laughs> that is a yes and slay. <laughs> uh, in the history of many yeses and slays for Lockheed Martin, before Vietnam, it was general practice that any arms company that wins the research and development part of a, any... Arms contract will also win the production contract. Yeah. Because why would you want another company to like start from scratch on research and development? Mm-hmm. By the time Vietnam rolls around, companies are now required to estimate production costs when they win the original contract. Mm-hmm. So even though it is to be clear two separate contracts, because of this, you didn't have to propose a production budget once you won the research and development part of it. The government would just sort of deal with however much you decided to spend. Yeah. <laughs> Which is still like in practice basically how it is. Um, So Lockheed Martin proposes the C-5A, which is supposed to be the
1: size of a fucking football field. Yeah. They called it the Galaxy. That was Lockheed's Mm -hmm. version of the plane.
0: They decided that other cosmic bodies were not large enough. Yeah. They didn't
1: encompass. I think they had another plane called like, they were named after constellations. So Galaxy was supposed to be like the biggest one. Mm -hmm. And it was specifically for Vietnam. They needed a massive plane to transport a Mm -hmm. bunch of stuff to Vietnam. Yeah. So instead of taking several trips, they're like, just put it all in, just one, put it in one. Pack it up. Let's go. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I feel like we've been foreshadowing this whole time. Spectacular failure. Oh, it went horribly. <laughs> From profits of War, quote, In the case of the C5A, slipping on schedule would bring penalties of over $12,000 per day, with a maximum fi- fine of up to one, uh, $11 million. I can read. Mm-hmm. Lockheed would also be responsible for absorbing the cost of structural deficiencies. <laughs> Some bragged that the arrangement was, quote, probably the toughest contract for a major defense system ever ever entered into the Pentagon. However, $11 million as a total penalty for a giant like Lockheed Martin wound up being fucking nothing. So, yeah. they just, so it truly was like a slap on the wrist in terms of how <laughs> much they went over budget. <laughs> like the government is paying them to make a plane. This they was in the, the 60s '60s. So it's 60s. a lot more money
1: than it yeah. sounds like.
0: Yeah. And it goes so terribly wrong for aerospace engineering reasons that like I think one who doesn't have expertise in it could imagine Yeah, building a playing the size of a
1: fucking football field that goes quickly, hard. (laughs) And they had to build, like, I think the government, well, originally, the Air Force wanted to choose Boeing's design. Mm -hmm. It was cheaper, and, like, Boeing had more of a rapport with the Air Force, Mm -hmm. but then Lockheed spent a bunch (laughs) of money on lobbying, and they were like, the Air Force like, yeah, that's fine, we'll get yours. (laughs) (laughs) The problem
0: with this sort of contracting, as emerged during the history of the C5A project, was that companies were being asked to project prices over a long period of time. This left ample room for the time-honored concept of buying in, where an arms manufacturer would bid low in order to get a contract and receive hundreds of millions, or even billions, of dollars once it charged the Pentagon for the final and much higher cost of actually building the system. This is the bread and butter of Lockheed Martin, like, Mm -hmm. um, saying, oh, this is going to cost you nothing, and then being like, well, actually, we need to add this thing, or actually, we need to... You know, this part doesn't work. We need to replace it with a much more expensive
1: part. Mm-hmm. This is, <laughs> yeah, it's how they can make an incredible amount of money. Yes. And, and, It depends on the year, but like seventy to ninety percent of Lockheed's revenue comes directly from the federal government, which comes
0: directly from us.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's our tax dollars, so we have completely fund this company, and they can't even build anything that flies. So bad. So bad.
0: (laughs) Do you remember the the story of Ernie Fitzgerald, an outspoken critic of the C-5A? Uh, Was he the, like, whistleblower in the Air Force? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) He, again, is one of the first outspoken critics of the C-5A. He's not the only one, but he's one of the more important one. Uh, From Prophets of War, Fitzgerald's decision to speak out came at high personal cost. In May of 1969, the Air Force's Office of Special Investigations started an inquiry regarding Fitzgerald, a probe that was described by one Pentagon insider as a fishing expedition looking for personal information such as incidents of extramarital relationships, drugs or alcohol abuse, or (laughs) homosexual contacts. (laughs) 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 When none of these avenues of inquiry bore fruit, OSI hung its hat on the false accusations that Fitzgerald had engaged in unauthorized circulation of classified documents. Later, in a Kafkaesque maneuver that was unprecedented, even in the annals of the Pentagon, the Air Force moved to revoke Fitzgerald's career tenure on the grounds that the original letter bestowing it was a computer error.
1: (laughs) 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 and i mean we haven't even talked about like what he was telling people about Mm -hmm. like the c5a and it and his i think his issue was that the way that they were doing pentagon contracts at the time i forgot how many planes the government was buying from lockheed to produce at this time but it was like 80 or something Mm -hmm. there was a first batch and a second batch yes and then the way they did pentagon contracts is that if there were cost overruns on the first batch, they could be somewhat absorbed into the second batch. So the first batch was running 100% over budget, but it was way more than that because the second batch would have been 240% over budget, making the entire C5A project $2 billion over budget. In fucking 1965.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Sometimes it's hard to abstract these numbers in your mind. hmm uh, especially when they're just, like, being thrown at you in the form of a podcast. But I want you to really pause and consider
1: how much money that is. Yeah.
0: How, how much that could have gone to anything
1: else. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole point was, like, it was supposed to um, land on anything. Like, it didn't mm-hmm. have to land on a runway. Yeah. Because I don't know how much the listeners know about the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, we didn't exactly have runways not, to it, land our planes.
0: Especially, on. it would have required a runway that's like three or four massive. times the size of an actual normal runway. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the, that's a little hard to make happen mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it must needs be remarked that it was a spectacular failure. There is not a C 5A that does the thing that it's supposed to be doing, Mm-mm. which is be massive and land anywhere. Even as the C-5A scandal was unfolding, Lockheed's finances were rapidly eroding. This is also from *Profits of War. Mm-hmm. The Air Force met the company more than halfway in paying for the cost overruns, but the company still lost close to $500 million on the contract, which is fucking
1: insane because, like... It's a horrible business model. Like, yeah. Lockheed, for all of its history, has been going out of business every, like, 10 years. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and they managed to, like, talk to the right people, lobby the right people, and just continue to yeah. build shitty-ass planes. Yeah.
1: They build, I guess you know some functional planes which is why they remain in business yeah i mean the c5a is used Mm -hmm. but i don't know do you know what what happened to the first one delivered to the air force let's hear it um it exploded (laughs) and set on fire for three hours (laughs) three hours (laughs) Like, and then a bunch of them showed up the other one showed up missing parts like Mm -hmm. another one crashed Like, it did not go well. And they could not land... They could only land on paved runways. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: part of me kind of is obsessed with that aspect of Lockheed because they're constantly um, (laughs) wasting time on arms that don't work. Because also, I think what should be in your mind this entire episode is that when this is successful, this results in, like, massive death and destruction that's, like, uncalculable to the human mind. Incalculable, I should say. And... So it's kind of funny.
1: That they- it's yeah, the, especially Lockheed's early history. It's like easy to laugh at because they are you know not doing very well, mm-hmm. and they're just like two dorky brothers <laughs> who like can't figure out how to make an airplane, mm-hmm. and they could just do anything else, but they insist. Well, and then they fail at *Penny for Gold*, whatever. But now it's like Lockheed Martin is such a—they're the biggest arms manufacturer in the world. Mm-hmm. They make bombs, and nu- they work on nuclear stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's. It- a bit of a sobering moment to think about like you know
0: the again incalculable suffering that comes from Lockheed Martin
1: yeah in a
0: way it's a little bit slay whenever
1: they make something that doesn't work (laughs) I'm a fan I am in fact a fan of the things (laughs) that don't work do you you know about the the coffee maker and the toilet seat yes I I would like to hear it from you though are you sure (laughs) I mean it happened later but it was for the c5a plan let's do it you know we just said it went two billion dollars over budget the (laughs) Mm -hmm. project and the thing with, like, when they give no-bid contracts to these companies is they can charge whatever they want for whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm just imagining, like, two douchebags <laughs> <laughs> engineering for Lockheed, and they're like, you know what? We're going billions of dollars over budget. What mm-hmm. if we charge the federal government $7,662 for every coffee maker that has to be on this airplane? And I... I wanted to drive myself a little crazy, so yes. I, I went to, like, an inflation calculator. This happened yes. under Reagan when they were adding mm-hmm. the, the coffee makers to the to the the place. Yeah. What do you make your coffee in, Christian?
0: I actually, I bought my girlfriend an espresso machine, okay. and she's the huge coffee drinker. Okay. This machine, it was on Facebook Marketplace, um, like a couple hundred
1: bucks. Okay. <laughs> it was, like, a very nice coffee machine. That's Usually, not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. I use a French press. I got it for $20 like six years ago. Yum meow. meow. And, um, so this coffee maker, adjusted for inflation, <laughs> cost $27,000. <000. laughs> like they're just, and the <gasps> same thing happened with toilet seats. Like they uh, charged the government $600 per toilet seat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least the toilet seats and the coffee makers work.
1: Yeah, and I hope the coffee is delicious. It better be. Yeah. I I can only imagine what a $27,000 cup of coffee tastes like cuz I don't know what they're using. Those planes for anymore. I don't know what they were using. They never used them in Vietnam. No. <laughs> <laughs> they never used them in Vietnam.
0: <laughs> uh, it's funny and it's sad, but it's also very funny. <laughs> As a result of the massive budget overruns of the C-5A during Vietnam, um, the federal government decides to bail out Lockheed Martin Mm -hmm. through a series of, this is honestly where I kind of fall asleep, like loans and there's this specific stipulation for the loan. They got to pay this back. Stuff I don't understand. They are unable to pay back the original whatever they're supposed to be paying back. And they decide to go a little rogue, to go a little nut nut, (laughs) and bribe officials in West Germany, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, Saudi Arabia, (laughs) to purchase Lockheed Martin shit. (laughs) Yeah. This is such a fucking international scandal. They paid $22 million in bribes to foreign officials. Um, This led to a near abdication of the throne in Netherlands. Like, it's such
1: a national scandal there. Mm -hmm. I don't have any notes about it, but I remember the Japan situation being nuts. Like, being crazy. Fucking nut-nut is the only way that I know how to describe it. They
0: paid 2.4 billion yen to earn the contract from ANA. 500 million yen was received by the prime minister. (laughs) And on October thirtieth, nineteen 1972, ANA announced its its decision to purchase 21 Lockheed L-1011 TriStars, which cost approximately $5 million each. The 1986 U.S. President's Commission on Organized Crime revealed that from <laughs> 1969 to 1975, Lockheed used Deakin Company, a large foreign exchange operator, as a conduit to transfer the money to bribe Japanese officials. It was disclosed that $8.3 million was moved to Deak's office in Hong Kong, where a Spanish-born priest representing Lockheed took the cash and carried it to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> This is for, this is the part that I wrote. Um, just open the Wikipedia page and pray. So all that was from Wikipedia. Nice. <laughs> um, but I feel like Lockheed Martin is so fucking huge that the 1976 bribery scandal like is only a footnote in my notes. Yeah. Of like all of the other shit that they get into. They have so many scandals. So many scandals, and continue to be again the number one defense yeah. <laughs> uh, manufacturer in the world. It's uh, again like. I can't emphasize enough the scale of this one. This is the biggest one the busted business bureau's ever done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because usually I pick like one scandal from a really big company and talk about it, but this one there's just so many.
1: Yeah, and they're all so bad. And it's good. It's just good for people to know because like whenever they pay their taxes, I I forgot what it is. Like uh, the author of this book also uh, found this statistic. It's like thirty cents of every dollar goes to like private defense contractors. What? Yeah, that is fucking
0: crazy. I cannot believe that. (laughs) And again, this bribery scandal does not put Lockheed out of business properly. uh, Because you've got things like the Cold War happening, Desert Storm. The best thing that ever happened to Lockheed Martin was, in fact, 9-11. Yeah. Post 9-11, it's basically in the bag for Lockheed Martin. This is also after all of the mergers of the 90s. Mm -hmm. The mergers being made out of necessity in the 90s, because once the Soviet Union fell in 1990, it was like, what do we do now? Fuck our drag. Yeah. (laughs)
1: that's that's that rhetoric started like um because all of the aviation companies had to pivot to military uh contracting like before world war one but it happened primarily after world war one mm-hmm. and like that's that, that was the messaging about Pentagon spending, because they knew all of their money was going to come from the Pentagon. Yeah. Right then. Like, that. they were like, okay, this is, like, our only customer. Because prior, Lockheed was only kind of selling planes to, like, private pilots, like Amelia Earhart's <gasps> plane. I totally was, forgot to mention! It was made by Lockheed. <laughs> it was like the Vega rest, 5B, yeah. Yeah, rest in peace. Um... <laughs>
0: But uh, It was the one that she, I don't know if it was also the one she unsuccessfully flew, but it yeah, was the one know. she successfully flew overseas yeah, yeah.
1: was the Lockheed Vega 5B. Yeah. Uh, yeah, TBD on <laughs> she died in. <laughs> um, but that was the messaging that, like, all these companies pushed back then and still have to push right now is, like, even when the U.S. isn't at war, we as taxpayers benefit from massive yes. Pentagon spending bills because mm-hmm. of national security. And <laughs>
0: Uh, in addition to that, uh, what a lot of at least like politicians push to people is like this will create jobs. Yeah, like if there's a Lockheed facility in, for example, Marietta, Georgia, it's going to create X amount of jobs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like have you ever seen the musical Hades Town? Or is this reference not going to land?
1: I have not seen it. All
0: right. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> there's like a whole song where everyone's just like, oh, all we do is like work away all day at like a basically like a border wall for Hadestown oh dang <laughs> <laughs> and they're like like literally the way that we make money is by building this defense wall for literally no reason mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know if you've ever seen the musical Hades Town. I feel like it very much applies to Lockheed Martin and I'm the only one who's saying that I'm the only one who's brave enough to say yeah
1: <laughs> they actually that's how they got a bunch of their contracts like for the Cheyenne helicopter mm-hmm. I mean that story's crazy too. I want to hear it <laughs> um what year was that it was also in the late '60s, early '70s. How apropos! So it was a, a great two decades for them. What a crazy time to be working at Lockheed Martin in the late '70s. They were tasked with building this ridiculous helicopter that was supposed to fly forward like a small plane. Like I don't know, like if you're familiar with how helicopters work, but that is not how they fly. Like they're supposed to go up like a helicopter, but then. Straightforward. <laughs> and, okay, they were awarded this contract, and they had never, ever engineered a helicopter, <gasps> ever in the history of the company. Oh, and my they were, God. It was, it was it was supposed to accomplish much more than the Cobra, which was the helicopter okay. that the military was primarily using at the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a prototype yet. <laughs> they did build a helicopter. Who needs one? Um, and it crashed into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> but the... The crazy—it's another scandal. It's like the guy from the from the Air Force that awarded Lockheed this contract for the Cheyenne helicopter, uh-huh. uh, which costs triple in the research and development phase <laughs> than it was supposed to. Um, How
0: brave in the research and development! phase I know it cost just triple. Doing
1: it immediately. Yeah. His name was Willis Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about Willis Hawkins is, uh, he worked in that position in the in the military for a few years awarded them this contract can you guess where he worked immediately prior he was an executive at lockheed (laughs) and when he made the decision he was getting deferred salary payments from lockheed my god yeah so he's cool and that didn't work and they they never built the helicopter
0: no i can't they did i can't believe that we they don't weren't have a able helicopter to they couldn't figure it out <laughs> flies like a small plane yeah
1: <laughs> they might now i've no i've no idea but this was in the 60s and <laughs> it's not that's rough buddy Is it time to discuss the F-35?
0: I mean, go ahead. Fire it off. Uh, This plane has been doomed to fail from the beginning. Mm -hmm. The basic idea, so this comes about around the 90s of like the idea for this plane. The idea is that it can be used by the Army, Navy, and Air Force. And in order to satisfy all three of those things, it needs to be stealthy, but also needs vertical landing capabilities, but also fast, but also quiet, but also needs like larger wings for the Navy or whatever. It's not quiet. It's uh, it's not (laughs) quiet at all. That part didn't work It did not work. It's not very stealthy. Skeptics said it couldn't be done. And honestly, they slayed. (laughs) They were.
1: I love skeptics sometimes they're really right
0: (laughs) they really yeah and this one they could not have been any more right (laughs) this is um, from Prophets of War at the June 2007 Paris air show the company was embarrassed when schedule slippage meant that only one JSF a prototype had been produced in lieu of having planes to show or to do stunts for the ever popular exhibitions (laughs) Lockheed Martin commissioned paintings portraying the imagery of the F-35s flying over
1: each partner nation (laughs) I didn't know that. <laughs> They're like, hey, guys, we don't have shit to show you. Was it a bad painting? That'd be funny. Oh,
0: shit. You know what? I didn't bother looking up the painting, but I uh, I think I will and post it on the Instagram. Okay, I cool. think that's what I'll have to do. <laughs> I cannot imagine the thought process behind, let's get a painting instead. Mm-hmm. Not like... <laughs> Honestly, I would think like let's animate a video of what it could do or let's uh, do literal- so many options o- or let's not say anything. Let's just drop out. I think you can live without it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> say we got sick, you know? Yeah. Pilot's sick,
1: can't go. They but- got COVID <laughs> in 2007.
0: <laughs> so that is already um, not great to hear about the F-35, right? That it's already falling behind schedule in 2007. It was already behind schedule before then. Um, the f 35s program to program difficulties carried over until late 2009, even after Secretary of Defense Robert Gates had vouched for it as a worthy follow-up on the F-22. An internal Pentagon report leaked in late November, five months after Congress ended the F-22 program, suggested that the Joint Strike Fighter was so far behind schedule it could cost an extra $16.6 billion over a five-year period. The rush to produce planes without full testing raised the specter of expensive fixes after the aircraft had been produced, and thus the retention of large, expensive engineering staffs much further into the life of the project than originally intended." It hurts. (laughs) It hurts so bad. And this is also one of those things where they had purchased it before any sort of, again, meaningful prototype had been produced, which many people are very critical of, like, the (laughs) fly-before-you-buy model of getting planes and shit. Because I I do feel like that you need a worthy prototype in order to make such a lofty claim Mm -hmm. as this is going to work for the Army, Navy, and Air Force.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's been so long now. And and now they're like i mean they terrorize people all over the world and like yeah. Saudi Arabia has a bunch of F35s that they use in Yemen mm-hmm. um the UAE has a bunch of F35s or have been trying to buy F35s from the US for quite some time now mm-hmm. and now also they just they i guess terrorize uh, children on playgrounds in Vermont <laughs> <laughs> and and each test flight costs $36,000 oh, and it's taxpayer funded too oh my god yeah
0: That is absolutely fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Because we're still talking about this in like 2021. There's still articles being written about how behind schedule and how not working it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From the New York Times, quote, one factor that kept sending the F-35 program off course was the level of control Lockheed exerted over the program. The company produces not only the F-35 itself, but the training gear for the pilots and maintenance technicians, the aircraft's logistics system, and its support equipment like carts and rigs. Lockheed also manages the supply chain and is responsible for much of the maintenance of the plane. This gave Lockheed significant power over almost every part of the F-35 enterprise. Quote, I had a sense after my first 90 days that the government was not in charge of the program, said Bogdan, who assumed oversight as the program's executive officer in December 2012. It seemed that, quote, all major decisions, whether they be technical, whether they be scheduled, or whether they be contractual, were really being made by Lockheed Martin, and the program office was just kind of watching. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something you want to hear from the guy who's overseeing um, the
1: project. And... I think in the early two thousands, like as the F thirty five system was like coming in, in, like starting to be a thing, mm-hmm. Lockheed was also trying to like dip its hands into a bunch of different things. They really wanted a Guantanamo Bay detention facility in, in Cuba um, that was like you know arbitrarily detaining, torturing hundreds of Muslims from the War on Terror. They really wanted to contract their interrogators. <laughs> So they tried to like open up like a, a branch of Lockheed Martin that was like a consulting firm. Yeah, a consulting <laughs> oh firm like to send uh, to send interrogators to Cuba. It didn't work. It did. that didn't even work. <laughs> they can't
0: build planes, they can't build interrogation firms, they no. can't they can't do a fucking thing right. No. <laughs> Part of the F 35s um I guess multiple scandals over the last fucking twenty plus years. Um, involves a tweet. Danica, how much do you think a single tweet is worth? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, in, oh God, what was it? Maybe 2016. Donald Trump tweeted, Based on the tremendous cost and cost overruns of the Lockheed F-35, I've asked Boeing to price out a comparable F-18 Super Hornet! Exclamation point. Lockheed Martin <laughs> shares fell about 2%, while Boeing's went up 0.5%. Trump's tweet shaved off $1.2 billion of Lockheed Martin's market value.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Which That's, is the best thing he ever did.
0: I did not realize the power of a single tweet until that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so he and Marilyn Houston, the girl boss CEO, for quite a period of time. Oh, she just bought a
1: beautiful home in D.C. Oh, did she? It's a stunning home. <sighs>
0: At least she has taste. Yeah. (laughs) They had a very um, tense relationship, which is not a great thing to have when you're the number one defense contractor in the world. This is from Bloomberg. Lockheed Martin Corporation's F-35 jet remains marred by more than 800 unresolved software and hardware deficiencies of varying severity that could undercut the readiness, missions or maintenance, blah, 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 blah. Canada will begin talks with Lockheed Martin to, pur- to purchase 88 new F-35 warplanes, selecting the U.S. aerospace giant over a European rival to deliver
1: fighter jets as soon as 2025. I can't, I don't get it. Like, I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, whatever. Like, okay, the U.S. makes up 40% of the global arms trade. Mm-hmm. So if any of these deals were to fall through, it's like our economy. That's, that's yeah. a big reason why we sell so many weapons. Yeah. But, um, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> i forgot <laughs> it's gone <laughs> it's gone oh can- yeah canada they're just buying like cause they uh, an f-35 crash like every month <laughs> yeah like it's pretty frequent
0: you can just look up f-35 crash like there was one in 2014 where it caught on fire before the pilot took off oh, hell, and oh, so rest in peace i don't know no he's fine (laughs) oh cool he got it so had it caught on fire like 30 seconds later he would he would be resting in peace yeah um because it was like again right before he took off so it caught on fire he had to like get out
1: (laughs) lockheed martin tweeted a couple weeks ago they were like our first female f-35 pilot
0: (laughs) okay this has been going on since the 90s why now i know um
1: hashtag more girls in warplanes. yeah Like, one just, like, in the last few months crashed into the South China Sea, and a bunch of, like, uh, Chinese politicians were, like, clowning it on Twitter. (laughs) It's, like, a joke to every other country. They're, like, instead of giving Americans free college, they're making them pay for planes that crash into the ocean. Like, that's what we get. Yeah. We don't get free medicine. (laughs) We get airplanes that, like, make kids shit their pants in South Burlington.
0: (laughs) That is every single other country's joke on Twitter is yeah. to clown us for not having free health care mm-hmm. or other issues that we have. And it's like, man, they're really right. <laughs> 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 they really crushed it on that, that one dunk that they have. Um, yeah, the F-35, what a fucking nightmare mm-hmm. through and through. One of their uh, planes, the F-22, was so bad at united John McCain and President Obama. Mm-hmm. They came together. This was um,
1: pre-F35. The same time of F-35. The F-35s are supposed to replace the F-22s. Yes. In theory. It (laughs) hasn't worked out.
0: Oh, also the F-35, I wanted to say this. Um, One of the issues it has is that it has delayed video feed to the pilots, which (laughs) I never thought was like... I I guess I didn't really know how jets worked because I thought pilots used their eyes to look out, but I guess they don't. They're looking at a video feed because they can't see everywhere Mm -hmm. you know what that yeah you understand what i'm saying so i never understood that about military technology but it was freaking nuts Mm -hmm. so then i was in a youtube rabbit hole of like watching plane uh, like jet footage from the eyes of a Pilot. It's not very interesting, but I wanted to tell you. <laughs> and it's okay. You know what? I appreciated that you were nodding along, even though it was not very
1: interesting. I mean, delayed footage seems like really bad. Yeah, it seems like really tough. Yeah. Because <laughs> it seems like it's already hard to see. Yeah. But, Especially I mean, if it's raining. I heard
0: that didn't work out very well. It was supposed to survive thunderstorms and not a single one. <laughs> no. um So, anyways, proceed, or I guess the thing that F 35s are replacing, the F 22, they had half the planes for twice the price because of all the budget overruns and again structural issues there were two representatives who had wanted to lobby for this to no longer be a thing the army quietly but firmly agreed this is also from profits of war officials had noted that the service could equip a whole division as many as fifteen thousand soldiers for the cost of one f-22 so the army's like okay let's get rid of the (laughs) f-22 Representative Phil Gringy, whose district contains the F-22 assembly plant, searched frantically for somewhere to get the money to keep the F-22 going. He went so far as to issue a bizarre statement to the effect that the plane should be funded in lieu of wasting money on a developing a, a vaccine for the swine flu. Nice.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. That's a man who writes for his constituents.
0: Yeah, that is a ride or die. If I lived in his district, I'd be like, this man cares
1: about me. You can keep <laughs> your jobs, get the swine flu. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, again, this is something where John McCain and President Obama come together to cut the F-22s. That's honestly all I wanted to say about the F-22s. Yeah, yeah. Unless you
1: wanted to add anything. No.
0: It's just, like, the same shit,
1: different toilet. Yeah. I mean, for such a brief moment, like, we thought we were going to abandon that kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. because the F-22s were being phased out and have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially that Lockheed just lobbied, okay, but can you just buy a bunch of F-35s? Like, we <laughs> promise, we promise they'll exist one day.
0: Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have them till like, what, 2060 or 2070? Yeah. Is, like, how far the contract goes? Mm-hmm. Fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, if I may, for a moment, <laughs> I would like to pivot away from the shitty technology that Lockheed Martin makes. I would like to talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Hell, and yes. I, I've Slay. been waiting for this. <laughs> the following bit like, this whole history of, like, diversity and inclusion is the, f- like, subject of several full-length novels. Because Lockheed has existed for such a long time. Yeah. People have been writing about its history of, like, racial integration mm-hmm. at, at its facilities. Um, there is an employee, Harry Hudson who was employed in the wake of the Korean War. His spidey senses started tingling the second he got hired, and he was like, I have to document every single thing that like mm-hmm. happens to me at Lockheed, or like all of my promotions, all of my whatever. Consequently, he started feverishly documenting everything about his experiences, good and bad. His life work was to publish a memoir about it, which he was close to doing before he died. His family posthumously published the memoir, Working for Equality, the Story of Harry Hudson. And honestly, the book is thrilling to read. He... <laughs> There are some quotes talking about, like, race, social justice, all this stuff that's, like, pretty interesting and, you know, academically dense. But then he'll also say things like, some of the people in the plant protection at Lockheed Martin were the dumbest bastards that ever do a breath. (laughs) Quote, I later learned that the director and assistant director had been brainwashed to the degree that they were showing their cost consciousness and company loyalty to the extent that they didn't want raises. Sounds stupid. You better believe it. (laughs) And then there's another quote of his. To be able to cuss out your boss is always to be done in private. Never, never in the presence of others. Never embarrass him. State the conversation is man-to-man. Cut loose with everything except bodily injury. Nine times out of ten, the boss will realize that he needs a little friendly advice and appreciates if you're right. If not, then that's number ten, so look for another job. (laughs) 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 Anyways, there's no, like, one insight you can pull from Hudson's memoir, but worth mentioning is that his perspective, which is pretty shared across the board, is that integration was messy as hell, um, because most of the white people involved had deeply held prejudices that just don't go away with the presence of like one black employee Mm -hmm. and this is um a feature that extends more and more through Lockheed Martin's history like the closer you get to now there's still incredibly racist employees Mm. like dangerously racist like the largest EEOC case in history equal employment opportunity commission um for a single individual 2.5 million dollars was a Lockheed Martin employee oh really largest in history yeah that's crazy fucking nuts because they're like (laughs) horrifically racist Mm. at the Lockheed Martin facilities. Um, With each new war, there's a massive push towards more diversity within the company because they need more employees and there's, I don't know, more people going overseas. The early 2000s were not a good time to be at Lockheed. Here's the story. There are 11 different employees who found nooses in their offices at, like, different Lockheed facilities. Oh, my God. Yeah. The company... Oh, God, this is Joseph Banks. Um, and This is a writer from the Washington Post. Quote, the company acknowledged that a noose was found, but not located in Banks' work area, which is not better.
1: <laughs> guys, it was in the break room. It's fine.
0: It's totally fine. Like, if it was at his locker, then we'd have a problem. But break room where everyone can see it? <laughs> Well, then
1: what's the issue here? Oh, my God. That's terrible.
0: Adding that, quote, although the incident was investigated immediately and thoroughly, the investigators had not been able to determine who was responsible. There's another employee who I think worked with Joseph Banks, or at least at a Lockheed Martin facility. Quote, Gilligant, who is 52 and white, said he heard the N-word used countless times in the workplace. He said he began reporting to the incidents to the supervisors at Lockheed, providing the names of workers who had taunted black people with nooses, then had to change his home phone number after receiving so many threats. Uh like, what? a white employee who's trying to report racism is also getting, like, incredibly threatened at Lockheed Martin. So if you're wondering who's, you know, in the admin offices providing these F-35 contracts or whatever, it's incredibly racist employees. I was, we get to pay their salaries, too. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Gilligant says that he's seen roughly a half dozen nooses displayed during his tenure with Lockheed, and that the two most recent ones occurred in the spring of 1999. Uh. uh, uh yeah. Um. This is also from the Washington Post. "Quote: Betty Gearing, 53, who works on the wings for the C-130 from 1978 to 1991, her new Cadillac was regularly defaced in the parking lot with scratches. She had a racist term sanded off the hood, and eventually gave up and gave her car to her mother."
1: Oh my God! It's
0: fucking horrific. The breadth of allegations makes Lockheed Martin's case different from the race discrimination one settled from, like, Coca-Cola. Tyrone Brooks, a representative in the Georgia legislature and the head of the Georgia Association of Black Elected Officials, says that the Coca-Cola suit was more confined to promotions and advancement than, like, hostile treatment. Yeah. He says, quote, Coca-Cola would not tolerate the kinds of things you see happening at Lockheed. Believe me, Lockheed is the worst I've seen in corporate America. The executives simply will not admit the fact that they have a problem so he this guy's probably seen a lot and he says that Lockheed Martin is like the fucking worst guess who comes into the picture Johnny Cochran what? <laughs> Johnny Cochran joins the legal team <laughs> <laughs> which is so fucking crazy this
1: is also post OJ <laughs> oh god um <laughs> like like there he's defending yep. Lockheed no he's not defending Lockheed he's defending okay. the, the employees for Lockheed
0: <laughs> that'd be insane yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah Lockheed Martin did nothing wrong Ultimately, this class action lawsuit, even after Johnny Cochran had joined, was broken up by a judge who says that the group of employees seeking, like, back pay, emotional damage pay, whatever, Mm -hmm. didn't constitute a class of people to be in action, because it was a class action lawsuit. I don't know. Shit, I don't understand. The judge recommends that each person individually, like, file suits, and they don't go anywhere, because, like, if you're one person, you can't really sue Lockheed Martin yourself. You're gonna lose. (laughs) Except for Joseph Banks, I couldn't find any other employees getting as much coverage for, like, following through Mm -hmm. on the suit. Um, but the largest EEOC lawsuit in American history is Charles Daniels, who he was treated in an incredibly racist way by his coworkers, asked to be moved to Hawaii to, like, get a fucking break, and they transferred the same people to Hawaii with him. What? Yeah. Uh, and so he's fervorishly documenting all of the insane, horrible shit that's going on to him um, and is able to win this case mm-hmm. because it was just, like, so fucking bad. Um and that brings us
1: to the year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Taislett, current. This, are we talking about the CEO? Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, there's nothing I have to say about Jim Tastelet other than, like you said, he does look like Randall from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about the White Man's Caucus. Can we
1: talk about the White Let's Man's Caucus? Let's talk about the White Man's Caucus. It's time to talk about the White Man's Caucus. What congressman was so upset about that? It was Tom Cotton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And the guy who brought it to I, I, at least I think he brought it to the attention it's Christopher Rufo, who's the guy who's like the main charge against critical race theory he's the guy yeah. who like invented talking about it <laughs> and like he tweeted one time his strategy was like to associate anything vaguely leftist with critical race theory like mm. he's fully aware of what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, he did also post all the documents from the White Man's Caucus. So <laughs> That's
1: awesome. I lived. Just it, The White Man's Caucus is a, is, a, <laughs> is a racial sensitivity training. Run by White Men as Full Diversity Partners. That's the title of, of their group.
0: Yes. They had a year prior done a White Man's Caucus at Sandia National Labs, which is a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin that does nuclear testing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I guess lockheed martin was like we need one for our top dudes too um oh, this that is,
1: group has the, a whole other scandal in 2015.
0: this is from the zoom call this is the white man's caucus because <laughs> it was taken over zoom
1: <laughs> so i'm confused about this because lockheed mm-hmm. definitely has like white women in their executive leadership they just didn't yes. send them to the racial sensitivity training. no because it's
0: literally like for white men it's oh, like cool because there's like male privilege statements they all had to like recite there's heterosexual oh. privilege statements would you like to know a few of them yes Okay, so one of the male privilege statements, it's always stuff like, um, if I get a promotion, I get congratulated instead of made fun of. Or like, if I get more education, then I'm treated with more respect. Mm. Because I guess women aren't that. Yeah. (laughs) One of them is, quote, if I'm heterosexual, it's highly unlikely that I'll ever be beaten up by a spouse or lover. That's like one of the privilege statements they had to like recite, which I...
1: I would love to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> a fly on the Zoom? <laughs> yeah, a fly on the Zoom wall.
0: So, this pl- took place between June 8th and 11th of 2020. Um, again, oh God, the founders of the White Men as Full Diversity Partners it's Bill Proudman and Michael Welp, <laughs> which are so, <laughs> such good names for the men who found White Men as Diversity Partners. Welp. Welp, <laughs> Welp I'm a proud man. <laughs> Um, heterosexual privilege statements include, nobody calls me straight with maliciousness or Mm. I did not grow up with games that attack my sexual orientation. And then they read out the slur for, uh, like the F slur. (laughs) They read it out? Yeah. I.E. smear the queer or blank tag. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which, like, were they reading that part out loud? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Also, I've never heard that second phrase in my life.
0: I guess it outdates us. Yeah. Um, there's also... (laughs) The two founders wrote I'm tired statements That are supposed to be Like from the perspective Of people of color Or women So it'll be like I'm tired of being told How articulate I am Or I'm tired of hearing You say that you can't Find qualified people of color Et cetera et cetera Which is like
1: I bet they grew so much From this
0: I bet everyone grew from this experience of hearing all of this. One of the videos that they have to watch is Coca-Cola's remove labels this Ramadan. Have you ever seen this video? No. (laughs) It's really six men around the table in complete darkness and like have them have a conversation. And uh, then they like turn the lights on and everyone's like, oh, you all look different than like I thought you would. And then the climax of the video, they reach under their seats and they pull out a Coca-Cola can that doesn't have a label on it. But on the back it says, labels are for cans, not people. (laughs) oh wow so we are removing labels this ramadan that's like the (laughs) oh that's the whole bit of it which is so funny because white men as diversity partners do partner with like coca-cola and at&t and like all this other stuff and those are in the video resources for like future white men's caucuses oh my gosh! i don't know (laughs) it's maybe the funniest thing i've ever read in my entire life and again like the painter lockheed probably paid (laughs) the w-
1: <laughs> they, did,
0: they wouldn't say how much they paid white men as diversity partners. Because they probably
1: paid them millions and millions of dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what is so upsetting is that white men as diversity partners is not a, um, it's, a it's a for-profit company, so it's a little harder to find, I don't know, <laughs> find revenue statements. I think you can, but I, I didn't have the time. But I spent way too much time reading about the White Men's Caucus. <laughs> That's incredible. So that is a little history of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Lockheed Martin. <laughs> So the
1: CEO that made them do that, his name's Jim Tasteless. Yes, let's hear him. Um, he uh, took over after the, what was the other woman's name? Marilyn Houston. Yeah, Marilyn Houston. Um, and he's like, do you know why Marilyn Houston got the job? Sorry to interrupt. Noah. <laughs> she, there was supposed to be a man
0: who was going to step in as CEO, and then he was let go because he had inappropriate contact with a like young female employee. Wow. So then they were like, guess we need a woman now. Boom, Marilyn Houston.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> girl boss moment slay
0: it was honestly slaying yes and then when they picked the new ceo she was like "Mm, not another woman
1: (laughs) i'm pulling letter up right up with me
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyways jim taste
1: oh yeah the reason i bring this up is because during the merger yes to backtrack a little bit to 1995 martin marietta merged with lockheed and became lockheed martin lockheed was first but like Martin Marietta basically ran the entire company. The CEO of mm-hmm. Martin Marietta became the CEO of Lockheed Martin. Sure. And his name was Norman Augustine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to tell the story because it's such a common practice in defense companies. Let's hear it. And that it, it, it comes back to Jim Taislet, I promise. Um, <laughs> uh, so Augustine served on the Defense Policy Advisory Committee when he was the CEO of Lockheed Martin. Okay. Uh, sorry, Defense Policy Advisory Committee on Trade, uh, <laughs> that had such a massive influence over arm sales. and Lockheed Martin benefits from arm sales, <laughs> and it also had a huge influence over like Pentagon budgets, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and over fifty percent of our Pentagon budget, which is eight hundred billion dollars this year, goes straight to private companies like Lockheed Martin. Slay. Um, <laughs> so that's relevant because like they, all of these CEOs like are also on the boards of think tanks. <laughs> like uh, that make f- our foreign policy so jim taislett is a member of the council on foreign relations which is a super influential think tank okay um that impacts policy all the time mm-hmm. just to- is he the chair of it or is he just like on he's a board member i think okay. um so, like the council on foreign relations made policies like containment during the Cold War, oh, God. A, a notable alumni Hen- Henry Kissinger. Like <laughs> it's not, it's not epic. And then, like his response to the BLM protest was to make these people go to the White Man's Caucus. <laughs> <laughs> and then a bunch of Republicans got so mad at him. Like I promise, like he is, he is not a like just Jim Tayslet, our our left wing oh. hero. <laughs> you know what I He's mean? He's our woke king, like uh, a yeah. diversity and slaying. <laughs> That um, is fucking crazy. Oh, but you you mentioned something that made me think of the 2015 scandal. Let's hear it. uh Where are my notes? I'm that? having so much fun. i, I need mean, to say uh, I'm having a friggin' too. blast. <laughs> um, so one thing that Lockheed spends its money on is lobbying. Like they spend millions and millions of dollars. Is this a
0: Sandia Labs one?
1: Yes. So that's that's what Fuck. made me think of it. Is yes. Sandia okay. Labs? Okay, amazing. Um. So they lobby Congress and the Pentagon to give them certain contracts, like the Cheyenne helicopter, that kind of thing.
0: And Also, I'm sorry to backtrack, but Sandy Labs is the subsidiary of Lockheed Martin that does nuclear testing. Yes,
1: yes. Um, in 2015, Lockheed Martin paid the Department of Justice $4.7 million because it's subsidiary, uh, got caught using taxpayer dollars to lobby the government to give them a massive contract. <laughs> Oopsies. Oopsies. I made the same mistake at my last job. It's such a wacky, <laughs> it's a wacky occurrence, and it's such a—it's like the the biggest repeat offender of federal fraud, <laughs> when it only exists because of federal budgets. Yeah,
0: it's awesome. It was so. F- also, Sandia Labs um, continuously is fucking up their testing. There was a detonator that blew up in an employee's hand. What? As recently as like 2014. Yeah, their like- hand gone. I
1: actually didn't check. I mean, it p- must be. It, mu- it certainly must be. I don't know how bombs work. I'm going to be honest. I don't know <laughs> how they work. But if I was holding one and it went off, I I, I would, would be confident little, I don't have a hand it. I would be a little afraid, one would say. I'd be like, ow. <laughs> It hurt really bad. I mean, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't feel anything.
0: And there's a specific woman that Sandia Labs was lobbying, and I was—I'll have to pull up her name on hmm, my little computer here. But I was looking through her Wikipedia page, and she was so enmeshed in this scandal, and it doesn't even appear on her Wikipedia page. Like you have to look this up about her (laughs) to know that she was part of it. Um, Lobbying—I don't know. You talk for a second. (laughs) Uh, woman.
1: Uh, Was she beautiful?
0: I don't know who this woman is. I <laughs> ah, she was some, I'll post on my Instagram later. Whatever. She was some representative. Um, and you know what? She is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, of all the stories that I have about Lockheed Martin, I feel like we did just simply scratch the surface, but and yet go so deep at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Honestly, everything we've talked about is such a, um, like, it's so... Um, Routine for all of these companies. It's like Mm -hmm. the same thing happens with Boeing. The same thing happens with Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Mm -hmm. General Dynamics. And then they pour all their money back into like political campaigns. Yeah. Um, So. And I feel like
0: I need to once again emphasize the scale and how... I feel like if you read about even just one of these at any other, like, non-arms defense company, it would be, like, a, a catastrophe. Yeah. Like, it's such an insane scandal that the two of us could just sit here and, like, have a, like swap Lockheed Martin stories. Like <laughs> We're just, like, sitting at a bar, like, oh, man, here hear this thing
1: happened? Like, it's fucking gossip. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane how common this is for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you get mad enough about it, like, things do change. <laughs> like, like... It's it's silly but when the coffee maker thing happened and when the um toilet seat thing at the same time they were charging like $70 for hammers like mm-hmm. 9 what it, like $9 for a nail. Yeah. Like they were doing this for everything. And so when that scandal happened like so many people got upset with it because they were just like outraged at the the military budget and like where all their money was going. Yeah. So, I don't know, get pissed about it more often like this is our money. This is like, this is what our, mm-hmm. this is what our taxes go to. Yeah. And the amount of like
0: overbilling scandals that are not the ones that we just talked about. Yeah. Like there's a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. That's tools and metals, Inc. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the um president of tools and metals, Inc. Went to fucking prison for this. Okay. like They were overcharging for like perishable building materials, which I guess is like nuts and bolts. I guess those do perish over time. Tools and metals, tools and metals. like bolts and shit. Yeah. Um, and Lockheed Martin had to pay $15.85 million to, like, settle that specific one. But that's, like, it's just, like, one of the very, very many <laughs> settlements that Lockheed Martin pays to the federal government to then, I guess, just receive again for the new contract. I know. <laughs> like,
1: like uh, yeah, there's a bunch of lawsuits open against Lockheed Martin. If, if it's either in Florida or California where – because, okay – the the manufacturing of weapons the use of weapons anything that Lockheed makes is like so detrimental to the environment yeah like i forgot how many how many gallons of 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 gas it's like several gallons of gas that the f35s use every like 30 seconds yeah <laughs> and so they like uh, their manufacturing plant like in the groundwater or something in like Mm. florida or california or like the dirt i don't know so it's like causing irreparable like oh and then the lockheed martin was contracted to do the environmental cleanup on one (laughs) of them it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous This is money going in a big circle. It really, it just like, it
0: gets funneled in and it just circles, circle, circle yeah. circles. And then someone gets a nice house in D.C. Someone
1: gets a beautiful house. Just a gorgeous house. Beautiful house.
0: A little slice of paradise. Look it
1: up, everyone. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> home.
0: I guess there's a lot of stuff I got to post on my Instagram after this one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> please, please post Marilyn Hewson's beautiful home. I will. <laughs> I bet it l- the interior design is disgusting. Oh, I'm sure. Rich people have horrible taste. Like, uh, I know there's like a lot of buttons on her couch. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking <laughs> like this, like this. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I'm looking
0: up Marilyn Houston's home. I'm looking at the inside right oh, now. That is disgusting.
1: <laughs> That's horrible
0: ow oh i don't like whatever is going on here
1: oh, there's like a, a i don't
0: a painting
1: it seems inappropriate yeah there's
0: a few inappropriate paintings uh, inappropriate handrails inappropriate columns those couches look so uncomfortable yeah th- those are not for sitting no <laughs> those are for display oh man i'm looking at her bedroom now she's got um a cheetah print throw at the oh. foot of her bed
1: <laughs> oh
0: my god and her bed looks like a, like a cage
1: anyways check out her beautiful home everyone. check out the
0: beautiful home uh, what i would give to live in that home
1: i mean i'd love a home yeah. i'd love a house one day mm, wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice to have a home so yeah that's uh that's that's
0: lockheed martin um in a, in a friggin' nutshell again surface scratching yeah it's i do recommend the book prophets of war it's very good he, he has It's a, very funny. It's incredibly
1: funny. It, it's you can't put it down. Yeah. Like it's just a fantastic book. So, yeah, follow 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 William Hartung on Twitter. Yeah. He uh, he doesn't post very much, but well, I will follow him anyway. He works at the Quincy Institute. They they uh write a lot of really interesting stuff about foreign policy and arms sales and that kind of thing.
0: Do you talk to him often? Like do you have a chance to talk to him often?
1: Yeah, they, I mean, he's on a lot of like coalition calls mm-hmm. um about like um I go to like monthly meetings about the arms trade. He's typically there. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Um, I've been looking forward to this for weeks.
0: (laughs) Me too. Um, Do you want to plug any socials or anything before you leave?
1: Um, You guys can follow me on Twitter at Wife of Toast. It is on my Code Pink business cards. (laughs) They were like, we're going to put your Twitter on it. And I'm like, oh,
0: that's great. (laughs) So So now you can't change Wife of Toast. I have have considered
1: changing it, but, you know, I think... You know, my personal brand does mean something to me. I love toast. So
0: I'm Clown Bathroom on Twitter. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I love when I get the notification that Clown Bathroom has liked my tweet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Clown Bathroom likes most of your tweets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say it. Um yeah, so do that. Oh, follow Busted Biz Bureau on the internet too. Also follow follow anything Code Pink does. Code Pink is always producing excellent work. Sign up for their newsletter. I I open every single one of
1: those damn emails. Oh thank you. Thank you. I see the open stats on the back end of the <laughs> really yes i'm a
0: fervent opener
1: especially when it says danica from code pink oh thank you it's time to open it always makes me so happy when my friends tell me they're signed up for those emails i'm like oh gosh now i have to really pay attention there's no typos in there
0: (laughs) so you can have spelling errors for strangers but not for your besties yeah
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) if my bosses are listening i've never had a typo (laughs) I and any alert that's sent to thousands of people every week—it's <laughs> 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 never happened.
0: Never seen a typo. Also, you have a fundraiser going on right now. Oh yeah, I mean, I, when's this? Uh, actually, you know what? It'll probably be <laughs> done by the time the podcast comes out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you're doing an,
1: a very incredible fundraiser. That's almost at its goal, right? Yeah, we're like a thousand dollars away, which is pretty pretty cool. Because we were supposed to have it have it open for weeks, but it's only been a week. Wow. Yeah. Raised twenty thousand, nearly twenty thousand dollars for Yemen in a week. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: Thank you amazing work that you do. It is so fucking cool to have you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And it's so cool to be your friend. Oh, thanks, Christian. You too. (laughs) Danica also does improv comedy.
1: (laughs) I have done it. (laughs) (laughs) I almost did a tight five at the Lincoln Lodge, but I didn't. Really? Yeah. You should have. Lou and Parker wanted me to do it, and then I was like, uh, or Lou offered it to me. Then there were too many people I knew here. (laughs) <laughs> it's like no i look forward to seeing that type 5 someday it'll be a jfk impression it's really good. <laughs> i can't do it on here because <laughs> i can't do it on here my, so my bosses are gonna listen to this okay
0: we can we can cut we can, we can cut it <laughs> okay goodbye everyone <laughs> see you later